right. So this morning, um, we're going to be looking at numbers in our continuing study through the Old Testament. Uh, we've, we've made it to the fourth book of, of the Bible now, which uh, is numbers, as I said. And so just kind of an opening question. When you think of the book of numbers, what do you think of? The fourth book of the I heard boring, <laughs> and I heard numbers. So does anybody just think of all of these numbers? I mean, the people counted, and you know, this many people, and that many people, and and yeah, it's it's uh, the first three chapters of Numbers contains a, a census of the people of Israel. So there's just this count. And I, I've, heard, I've heard it said that Numbers is the book where Bible reading plans go to die because you get there and you just get bogged down in, in all of these numbers and names and, and some people just give up at that point. But if we don't quit reading um, and we do look through this and, and, and we have to admit God has put even the census, even these numbers in his word for a purpose. And if we don't get bogged down in that, if we continue to read we'll be able to, to unfold a lot of history, a lot of insight into the continuing promises of God and how he is fulfilling those things. And so um, that's what we want to do this morning. Um, we want to do really the same thing that we've been doing over the past six weeks, and that is just tracing the promises of God throughout the Old Testament and see how they will be fulfilled and how God will do that and particularly how he will fulfill those promises in Christ. So we'll see hints of that again today as we uh, work through this. But if, uh, to start, just to give a little bit of context, so we look at, first of all, the historical context of Numbers. Uh, what we see in there historically is the people of Israel, you know, it, all through the end of Exodus, through Leviticus, they've been camped at the base of Mount Sinai. So they've been getting the law from God. And now as we get to Numbers, the first 10 chapters are really the Israelites breaking camp and then they'll begin to move towards the promised land. So historically, that's kind of what happens. So really, we get almost the whole 40 years covered in the book of Numbers. And uh, last week, and we've noted over the last couple of weeks this concept of a chiasm. And last week, Terry noted that the whole Pentateuch, the whole first five books of the Bible, form this chiasm with Leviticus in the center. So everything uh, focusing us towards Leviticus. And if you think of it in those terms, then Numbers kind of mirrors Exodus. There are the two books right on either side of the center of that chiasm. So we can see that because what do we see historically in Exodus? We see the people leaving, it, leaving Egypt and arriving at Mount Sinai. And then in Numbers, we see kind of the opposite of that, the people at Mount Sinai leaving Mount Sinai and then arriving on the border of the promised land. So we see the, the kind of movement um, mirrors Exodus. And then um, if we were to look at a map, so what does this journey look like? If we were to look at a map, we'd see that Mount Sinai to where they wind up at the end of Numbers on the border of the promised land, probably about a 200-mile journey. Uh, and so if they had have made good time, if uh, they had have just packed up and just made a beeline for where they were going, it probably would have taken them less than two months to travel from Mount Sinai to, to the border of the Promised Land. 
But as we know, it took in the neighborhood of 40 years. <laughs> so wh- why so long? An amber journey. Why did it take what should have taken two months? Why did it take 40 years? They sinned against God, yeah, yeah. Disobedience. Disobedience. Yeah, it has consequences, right? So that's what we'll see today. We'll, we'll begin to see how that all comes about. So just historically, uh, the book breaks down like this. The first 10 chapters, as I said, uh, kind of see the people preparing to leave. So they're packing up camp. Um, they're preparing for all they'll need to do to, to move t- uh, towards the promised land. Um, Then next, in chapters 11 through 19, they will describe the people's rebellion against God and against Moses along the way. Um, And then in chapters 20 through 25, there's just a series of events that that happen along the journey that are described. And then finally, the last section, chapters 26 to 36, Uh, we find the people are camped on the edge of the Jordan River, camped on the edge of the Promised Land, ready to go in. So that's kind of historically how that all lays out. Um, And as I mentioned, Numbers begins with a census in the first three chapters, and then at the end, when they're camped on the Promised Land, ready to go in some 40 years later, there's another census. And so there's some significance to those two things that we'll touch on this morning. But Numbers is not just a uh, book about the journey and the things that happen along the way. Uh, The story fits into the overall context of what we have been tracing in this class, which is, again, this idea that God has made promises. He made promises that we initially really looked at uh, to Abraham, and then now we're seeing how those promises will be fulfilled. So this is the spiritual context of numbers in um, contrast to the historical context. So let's think back to these promises that we've begun to look at. In fact, turn back to Genesis. Um, we'll start in Genesis 13. And just, just a reminder of, of the promises. And we'll kind of look at it, uh, four specific promises. And we'll take these four promises, kind of look at how they're being fulfilled or how progress is being made on their fulfillment in in numbers. So if you look in Genesis chapter 13, look first at verse, starting in verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So in those verses, we hear very clearly that God has promised Abraham a place or a a specific land, um, and his people will have this place that God promises they will dwell there. So there's one promise, a place. Um, And then secondly, in that same passage, in verse 14 in particular, we see that God is going to have a people. Um, He says, actually, that wasn't in in verse 14, but he says, the people will be, in verse 16, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one could count the dust of the earth, or one could count your offspring also, they could be counted. So 
you know, God is saying that he will make the people numerous. Um, and so also back in chapter 12, where we were first introduced to the promises that God makes to Abraham, he says, I will make of you a great nation. So the second promise that we'll look at today is this promise that God will make a people. So a place and a people. And then thirdly, God promises his presence to Abraham as well. So um, this one is a little bit more implied than, than clear. But if you look again in, in chapter 12 of Genesis, God says, um, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And so God is going to show him the land. And then in chapter 15, verse 1, God says to Abraham, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So this idea that God will be a shield to Abraham and his people and that he will show them uh, really implies that God's going to be with him. He's going to go with him and his presence will be there. So that's the third promise. And then finally, um, in chapter 12 again of Genesis, God promises that through Israel, all nations will be blessed. Uh, he, he says again, let me see verse 12 or uh, chapter 12 he says i'll make of you a great nation i will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing i will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you i will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed so uh, these are great promises that god is making to abraham and and we're going to go through, uh, we have gone through and we will go through and see just how God is making these promises come to pass. Um, and so in, in Numbers this morning, it's kind of interesting that this is the first time since the garden that it, everything that is necessary in order for these promises to be fulfilled is in place. So the, the opportunity for God to have a place for his people is there. Uh, the opportunity for God to make his people great is there. Uh, God's presence is there. And so this is one that wasn't really able to be fulfilled after um, man broke trust with God in the garden because there was no way God could be holy and be among his people until what we saw last week in Leviticus with the tabernacle and everything that was required for a holy God to live with an unholy people was fulfilled. Um, and then just this idea that there would be a blessing, that, that Israel would be a blessing to other nations is now going to be able to be fulfilled if they make it to a place where there are other nations that uh, they will be uh, able to be a blessing to. So there's the potential here in numbers. However, as we know, all of these promises are not fulfilled in numbers. Um, and in fact, they will not be fulfilled until the end of Scripture. Revelation 21 really is when we see all of these truly uh, be fulfilled. So hey, we know where we're going, but thinking again about numbers, the potential was there but the promises aren't fulfilled. And in one word, can you tell me why that is true? Why were these uh, promises not fulfilled in one word? Okay, Amber says sin. That works. Rebellion. Rebellion, yeah. Which is sin, no question. Any other like single word description? Stupid. Stu stupid. 
<laughs> stupidity. Yeah. All right. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I think that's right. And you know, maybe another word would be unbelief. You know, they just simply did not believe. I mean. I mean, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. We, we, we're kind of stupid when it comes to not believing uh, that God can and will do what He promises. So that's really what we see here. We see continually and clearly in numbers that because the people disbelieved God's promises, they will not be fulfilled until a later time. And that becomes very specific uh, with respect to going into the land that God promised. And, and we'll see that today. So um, all conditions were there for these promises to be fulfilled, and yet they were not fulfilled. Um, and so we get this tension because the people are in disbelief. But God, on the other hand, uh, consistent with his character, is going to persevere and continue to work towards the fulfillment of his promises. You know, God said he would do something, and God's character is such that he will do what he promises. So we've kind of got this tension here um, that God will be faithful to fulfill his promises, but the people will be unfaithful, and the promises won't be able to be fulfilled because of their unbelief. And so this kind of points us to this theme that we see, particularly in Numbers, and that is past promises will prevail in spite of present problems. So yeah, that's kind of the theme for the book. Past promises will prevail in spite of present promises. And so as we think about that, um, that this is, the, this is the case, is this something we need to be reminded of from time to time? <laughs> yeah. Any, uh, any reasons why you think we need to be reminded that past promises will prevail in spite of present promise and pr- problems? There's a lot of problems going on, right? Yeah, so we, yeah, we might tend to wonder um, why, thing, you know, why are God's promises seem to be held at bay uh, when we look around and see all of the, the present problems that continue in this world. And so Numbers reminds us of these truths, and it does it, does it in three ways. So our outline uh, will kind of follow this. Um, in chapters 1 through 10, we see God preparing his people for the fulfillment of his promises. And then in chapters 11 through 16, we see God punishing his people for their lack of faith that he will fulfill these promises. So they were unfaithful in believing he would do it, so that leads to punishment. And then third, chapters 17 through 36, we will see God's patience with his people, um, and he confirms he will Uh, fulfill his promises despite everything that has happened. So those three things, preparation, punishment, and patience, will all work together for God to uh, continue to fulfill his promises. So let's look at those things. Let's look, first of all, at how God um, has the people prepare for the fulfillment of his promises. And this is in chapters 1 through 10. So God's preparation preserves his promises. So regarding the promises God created um, specifically, let's look through those four things. So first of all, with regard to this 
promise of having a people for himself. Uh, in Numbers, do we see that happening? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, There's, he's so fulfilling that that we, we burn out before we get to the end of the list of people, right? There are so many people. Yeah, um, and so that's where we see that there's importance in these censuses um, because God told Abraham he would make him a great nation, and now we see that that has really happened and, and is happening. So look there in chapter 1 of Numbers. Um, let me read verses 1 through 3. The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting on the first day of the second month in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male, head by head, from twenty years old and upward, all in Israel who are able to go to war, you and Aaron shall list them company by company." So we're going to see plainly how God's promise to make a great nation has come about as we then go down and he begins to list all of these people. Um, he, God has made a great nation out of Abraham. If you flip over to uh, verse 44 of chapter 1, it says, These are those who were listed, whom Moses and Aaron listed with the help of the chiefs of Israel, twelve men, each representing his father's house. So all those listed of the people of Israel by their father's houses, from 20 years old and upward, every male able to go to war in Israel, all those listed were 603,550 people. So over 600,000 men over the age of 20 is, the, is what, how many were counted. And so if you add the women and the children in, I mean, it's, it's safe to say that there was 2 million people. Um, and all of those people from that one man, Abraham. So this promise that God has made, we see that he has, is fulfilling that promise. Well, what about the promise of a place? Um, turn over to chapter 10 in Numbers. So let me read. We'll, we'll skip through a little bit here, but look at verse 11. It says, in the second year, in the second month, on the twelfth day of the month, the cloud lifted from over the tabernacle of the testimony, and the people of Israel set out by stages from the wilderness of Sinai, and the cloud settled down in the wilderness of Paran. So the, the command here is, is that they're going to set out to go somewhere. So skip down to verse 29. And Moses said to Hobab, the son of Ruel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, we are setting out for the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we will do good to you, for the Lord has promised good to Israel. And then skip down to verse 33. So they set out from the mount of the Lord three days journey, and the ark of the Lord of the covenant went before them three days journey to seek out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was over them by day whenever the, they set out from the camp. And whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, to the, to the ten thousands of Israel. So, you know, here's just kind of a, a glimpse at the fact that they're, they're moving. They're going somewhere. They're headed for where Moses said was the place um, that the Lord promised to give them. So 
uh, this promise that God has made of a place, they're going there. They're in that, in that direction. Um, so they set out with the express purpose of journeying to the promised land. Uh, and that was that place back in, in uh, Genesis 13 that God said, look, uh, look at this land, I will give it to your descendants. Um, and so then, if you remember back in Exodus 33, when Moses said to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. So in other words, Moses said, if you're not going to go with us, then there's really no point in going. The presence of the Lord is critical. It is necessary for us. Um, And God promises that he will go with them. And so here in Numbers, we see how God prepares the people so that his presence can be with them. Um, And in these first 10 chapters, we really see that. In in chapters 5 through 6, they cleanse the camp. Um, In chapter 7, the tabernacle, which as we learned is where God will dwell, is consecrated. So it's set apart and made holy. And then in uh, chapter 8, verse 5, God commands Moses to cleanse the Levites, cleanse the priests, those who would minister uh, in the tabernacle. So all of these things are necessary for a holy God to, to be present, to dwell among his unholy people. So they're making these pres- uh, preparations for the purpose of God dwelling with them. Um, and God condescends to do just that. Um, look in chapter 9, look at verse 15. It says, On the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. And at evening, it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning. So it was always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that, the people of Israel set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. So the presence of the Lord is going with them. Um, And so whenever they pick up camp, the Lord goes with them. And whenever um, the Lord basically tells them to stop, they stop and stay until he tells them to go again. And it's interesting, kind of, we won't read through it, but the way the whole thing is set up, the camp is set up so that the tabernacle and God's presence is right in the center. Um, And so he's right in the middle dwelling with his people. You know, and we think about that. We may look back through uh, all of the things that took place on the journey in the wilderness and how God miraculously provided for Israel uh, in the manna and in uh, giving them water in the desert and parting the Red Sea that they would cross and not be destroyed by Egypt. And here we see God's presence just physically dwelling with the people of Israel. And do you ever find yourself kind of envious of ancient Israel regarding the fact that God dwelt with them physically in their midst? I know, but can you imagine how scary that was sometimes? Remarkably scary? I think that's a good point. Remarkably scary. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Do we have reason to be envious of, of ancient Israel in this respect? Awesomely yes and no. Yes and no. Okay. It's better now. How so? We don't just have the 
God with us physically in the camp. He dwells within our heart, right? I mean, Jesus said that. If you got a second, turn over to John chapter 14. Think about what Jesus says here in John fourteen sixteen. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Got it? John, John chapter 14, verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus promises that his spirit, the spirit of the living God, it's not just dwelling amongst us in the camp, in a tent. He's actually dwelling within us, in our hearts and will be with us forever for those who know him. Um, And so while we look back and we say, man, that was pretty cool. God was with them and God was doing all these miracles and providing all this. We can't forget that even better, uh, God is with us, the spirit dwelling within our hearts every day. Um, So we're able to be with him. Uh, and, And that's something that's really far more a blessing than they had even in the miraculous way that God was with them. So um, kind of finally here, so those are the promises that God is fulfilling in a, in a people, a place, and His presence. Um, but then finally, we also can see in these first 10 chapters how God is uh, causing Israel to be a blessing, a blessing among the nations. And it may be a little hard to see that. I mean, they're out there in the the wilderness by themselves. But look in chapter 10, look at verse 29 again that we read just a minute ago. uh, We're back in numbers now. Yeah. And Moses said to Hobab, the son of Ruel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, we are setting out for the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we will do good to you. For the Lord has promised good to Israel. So do you see the invitation there that God or that Moses is making to a Gentile, a non-Israelite, that if you will be with us, if you will come with us, then you will also be blessed by God as he blesses Israel. So there's this hint that we see here uh, that Israel will be a blessing to the nations. Um, and we even see that in this invitation that God uh, has Moses give to his father-in-law. Um, and so this, this idea of Israel being a blessing to the nations, we even start to see it in numbers when they're out there by themselves. So um, as we think through that then, uh, that's, that's really how God is preparing to preserve his promises. So that's the first 10 chapters. So any questions or any thoughts um, right off the bat on that? You know, that promise uh, that Israel would be a blessing, really, uh, we are the recipients of that, right? Uh, Most of us are are Gentiles by birth. Uh, And so just like Moses' father-in-law, we also have this opportunity to uh, become part, really, of the true Israel, as uh, Paul kind of puts it in Romans, um, that the Spirit 
God's Spirit dwelling within us is that promise of His presence and also that, that blessing to the nations uh, because we, we're not Israel, right? But yet His blessing applies to us as well. Well, um, that's kind of the, the part of numbers that's encouraging, it's exciting, you know, they're, they're, they're fired up, they're ready to go, and they're, they're setting off on their journey. But now let's get into a little bit of the harder stuff, starting in chapters 11 through 16. The, these chapters don't really have this upbeat expectation that the first 10 chapters do. And once again, it's because the people's rebellion is put on display. What's that? Uh, yeah, it starts off pretty bad. So, so let's look here, uh, starting in chapter 11, verse 1. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. So immediately we begin to see um, God's punishment is going to come into play as he preserves his promises as well. So in the midst of sin, in the midst of disobedience, in the midst of grumbling and complaining, God is still going to preserve his promises. So grumbling and complaining, this word, the people complained in the hearing of the Lord. That's going to be the theme for the, the, these chapters, 11 through 16. We're going to constantly see the people complaining. Um, so they, here, right here, we see them complain about how hard life is. They complained about their misfortunes. Uh, and then we're going to see the people complain because they don't have water. They're going to complain because they don't like the food that God gave them. You know, this food they just had to go out and collect every day. They started complaining about that. Um, they, they're going to complain about Moses' leadership. They're going to rebel against him in these chapters. And really, it all comes to a head in chapter 13. Turn over to chapter 13. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. So we know this story, right? Uh, Moses is going to send out ten, the 12 spies to spy out the land, uh, to see uh, what they can learn about the land. Um, and then skip down to uh, verse 25. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. 
So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. So out of the twelve spies that uh, Moses sends out, Ten of them bring back a bad report. Only two said, we can go in and we can take it, Caleb and Joshua. And the, the other ten can't see past the size of the inhabitants and the strength of their, their uh, cities and of all of those things. And they begin to grumble and complain, right? Or they're going to lead, the, lead to the people to grumbling and complaining. So... Let's look at that. Chapter 14. We're going to spend some time in chapter 14. Let me read verses 1 through 10. So how do the people react to this news that the spies bring out? Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. What are we to make of this disbelief? You know, the Lord has promised them a land. The spies go in and they say, yeah, this is a good land flowing with milk and honey. There's some big people there. Um, But then they disbelieve that the Lord will give them the land. What are we to make of this? Why? Why 